I have a confession to make. I am one of those teachers who stray from the state-mandated curriculum. And I know what I'm about to say may get me in trouble. And I'm fully aware of that. I, I've decided that I have to come clean. The idea I share is not in the middle school curriculum for my state. I begin and end the year with this statement. Sometimes the most loving word your parents can say to you is no. Teachers, are your digital assignments getting lost in the black hole of a digital folder? Can I suggest a solution? Fan school. FanSchool is a safe and social learning network where students own and share their learning. Think of FanSchool as a digital bulletin board for your students' work. Take a look. Go to fan.school today. That is fan.school. And imagine what your classroom space will look like on FanSchool. Welcome to your Parent-Teacher Conference, where a 24-7 parent and full-time teacher discusses issues and concerns from both points of view in an attempt to bridge the gap for the sake of kids. So relax, grab a coffee or other comfort drink, and let's talk about it. Hello and welcome to the Father's Day edition of your parent-teacher conference. This is Coach Cullen, your host, who just happens to be a son and just happens to be a dad. And I truly believe that the most loving word that a parent can say is the word no. Not all the time, but there are, there are a lot of times when a parent needs to say no, it's coming out of love. And I know as a child I didn't believe it, and I probably doubt my children believe it. But as we all know as adults, we get to that point in our lives that we realize the truth of that statement and for the amount of times my dad told me no I can tell you he must have loved me a whole lot but thank you for listening and I hope I say some things today that interest you or make you think and if I do I would love to hear from you please feel free to email me at ptcpodcast411 at gmail.com that's P is in parent, T is in teacher, C is in conference, podcast 411, PTC podcast 411, all one word, at gmail.com. And of course, if you do enjoy what you're listening to, please let's grow the audience and feel free to share where you're listening to this podcast with your friends, be it Spotify, Amazon Music, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts. Wherever you're picking this up, share it out. If you see it, saw it through a tweet, retweet it. Saw it through a Facebook post, make sure you share it out to your friends. I, you know, the more the merrier, right? Now, talking about my listeners, a few episodes ago, I did a podcast called Award Season. It was discussing how we give awards out to kids and sometimes the shame that develops from those kids, the majority of kids who don't get it, 
how the awards tend to go to the same kids over and over. It's like overkill. And although it was not the most listened to podcast of all the ones I've done over the past two years, it was the most remarked, the most I received feedback on. And the feedback was very positive. So I'd like to thank my listeners for sharing their thoughts with me. And and if I had to summarize the thoughts as a whole, it was the idea of maybe not seeing it for the first time, but really thinking about how the kids who are not getting awards are seeing that assembly. And it's not just they're seeing it as a waste of time, they're also seeing it as a point of shame, that you're shaming them. And I don't think we stop and think about that What when you know, teachers, when administration put on those assemblies, they're thinking two things. One, the main thing, which I, you know we agree with them on, that those kids who have earned those awards deserve recognition. And secondly, like kind of a byproduct of that is your belief that when the kids in the crowd see those kids getting the awards, they're going to say, I want to be like that. But what we're not thinking is how many kids are in the crowd saying, I can never be like that. So thank you for your input. um, And thank you for listening to that episode. If you haven't listened to it, go back in the archives and look for award season. Now, this is my second Father's Day episode. Last year, I put out an episode called Dad Quotes. So if you go back to June of last year and search for that episode, it's called Dad Quotes, where I give the best bits of advice my dad ever gave me. And these words of advice aren't polished. They're not going to be what you expect from Mike Brady of the Brady Bunch. But I, I think they're really interesting. I'll give you one. It was, um, if the ball hits your mitt, you got to catch it. And it's the whole idea of you don't make excuses. You get the job done. If the ball hits your mitt, you're expected to catch it. So I would encourage you to go back and listen to that as well. But today, it's a different Father's Day episode. I'm just going to talk about the need for dads in our lives. Now, you may have heard the 1997 federal study that says that father absent homes, you know, it's twice as likely a child will face neglect or abuse, um, including physical and sexual abuse in a fatherless home. Um, We know the increase in poverty in fatherless homes and that 85% of youth in prison have absent fathers. The reality is there. You may not like to hear that. Um, I am not saying, I know, you know, if you remember, if you're as old as me, you remember the 1992 election, right? Bush versus Clinton. And the first Bush, H.W. Bush, his running mate, his vice president, actually, was a guy named Dan Quayle. And there was a TV show on called Murphy Brown. It was with Candace Bergen. And one of the show's plot line that season was that she is becoming a mother and without a husband. And Dan Quayle was critical of that because he was saying it downplays the importance of fathers. Of course, there's a firestorm 
How dare you say that women can't raise a child on their own? What do you think? They always need a man. And we hear this, and this is firestorm. And you know what happens like two years after the election? The Atlantic, not a conservative magazine whatsoever, comes out with the headline, Dan Quayle may have been right. Two things can both be true. Women with absent fathers, because men who drop the ball, who don't want to be dads, who walk out of their lives and walk out of their kids' lives and just treat that responsibility of raising children like trash, and there are men like that. Women, there are many women in this country who have stepped up to the plate and have gotten the job done for the best for their kids. But I'm sure a lot of them would say it would have been a lot easier if we had a man around the house. Why, why is it wrong to say that all of a sudden? And we always go to the worst case scenarios. And then we get these studies that kind of, it just, it, it is what it is. It's nobody's opinion. It just says, look at this population, like the prison population, young people in prison, and let's comparatively see how many of those kids in prison have absent fathers. Oh my gosh, there's a high correlation there. Let's look at correlation of poverty and absent fathers. Oh my gosh, there's a high correlation there. I'm not downing what women can do. In citing this fact, I am imploring men to do what they should do. I'm going to throw out some pretty neat effects that dads can have on their children. A 2016 study by Robert F. Corwin and Robert H. Bradley called Father's Autonomy, Support, and Social Competence of Sons and Daughters. The studies show that fathers who are involved with their daughters at young ages, it will help prepare the daughter to resist peer pressure and to make responsible choices as early as middle school. And schools have tried to encourage this connection between dads and daughters. If you've ever seen Facebook, kind of in the winter, elementary schools tend to have father-daughter dances. And I used to look forward to that. I remember going to my first one when my daughter, I can't, if she was in kindergarten or first grade, and she didn't, I mean, she, she felt very awkward. She, you know, and I just remember I, I felt horrible because she just didn't want to dance. She didn't want to do anything. We left early because it really wasn't. She was standing there and maybe she was a little too young for it. But I enjoyed going with my daughters to the father-daughter dances. Well, the last one that I could have went to, the fifth grade father-daughter dance for my youngest daughter, they changed it. They stopped it from being a father-daughter dance, and they made it to a parent dance. What they said was, you know, not every kid has a father. And, and that's true. And, and we talked about that's true. But kids tend to have somebody who is a father figure, or you hope so, that some a male in their life that they can look up to. And here's what happened. I told my wife, here's what's going to happen. And it happened in our family. My wife went to the dance. My wife went to the dance with my daughter. 
And I even before she decides, I said, you're going to see a lot more women there because it's going to be a chance for them to hang out and talk. Women tend to be more social minded to encourage a husband to go do this. I mean, I'm, I'm an introvert. I get it. I'm not a big party person. I, I don't like dances in general, like a big event like that. I would rather meet with a small group of couples rather than going to a big thing like this. It's just not me. I think a lot of men are are like me, but this the encouragement of, hey, you get to spend time with your daughter, you know, doing something that they might enjoy. I mean, heck, if we're going to go by the fact that not every kid has a parent, not every daughter likes to dance. So why are you even having a dance, right? I mean, the you could tear apart this in, in a thousand different ways and just make it not happen. But I did tell my wife, this is going to turn into the moms go out and hang out and the girls just run around the gym and it just ruins the whole purpose of it. The purpose was what I said. There is a need for daughters to see their daddies in a fun light. It was a great thing to do based on research. It wasn't trying to slight anybody. It was trying to encourage that all-important father-daughter relationship. One of my biggest frustrations in a lot of these arguments about social change is you always take the worst-case scenario and you say that is the norm. And the other thing is, by ending the father-daughter dance, you're letting dads off the hook. And that's the exact opposite of what the research says should be happening. Now, the other thing the school did, now you're saying, well, did you do get to do anything with your daughter at the school? Yeah, we, we did a kickball game. And, and to be honest, that was more enjoyable for me. But the kickball game was the mother-son response. This was a time for moms and sons to get together doing something boys tend to like. So they totally erase the lines um, to solve one problem, but at the same time, you've maintained the problem that those two things, the father-daughter dance and the mother-son kickball game, sought to remedy. Encouraging dads to be in their daughters' lives, encouraging moms to be in their sons' lives. You know, Talking about my school, I looked at our school's health curriculum. I went back to kindergarten. When do they start talking about the roles of parents or focus on that? And it's interesting, in kindergarten, they focus on the importance of having a trusting adult and how teachers are those trusting adults. And I'm sure they put their parents into those discussions as well. But it isn't until second grade that they talk about family life. Now, maybe it's for developmental reasons, kids can really grasp it, but I would think that as early as kindergarten, you want to talk about the importance of family life. Now, of course, they do talk about sexuality and gender in first grade um, before they even talk about family life, but that's the state of New Jersey for you. And when you see parental concerns that the school is intruding too much into the lives of families or teaching, instructing ideas and thoughts are in opposition to a family's value system. You, you kind of have to look back at the health curriculum in my state and say, they have a point. You would think that the, I mean, unless they're assuming that, well, the kids know about the parental relationship because they're in it. That's a lot of assuming on a kid who's in kindergarten, like a five-year-old, right? But let's go on to 
other studies that show the importance of dads. A study in 2010 called Father's Early Contributions to Children's Language Development in Families from Low-Income Rural Communities by Nadia Pansofar and Lynn Vernon Fegan said that in terms of vocabulary acquisition, fathers are the ones that will give their child a more rich vocabulary. And I'm not talking about dirty words. I'm talking about really strong, higher level vocabulary words. And it's interesting. The thought is this. If you think about it, again, it makes sense. And I'll give you an example of something similar between my wife and I and one of my children from years ago when they were li really little. A mother will tend to talk down to their child and I don't mean in a bad way, in a way that the child can understand. They're going to use simpler words so their child understands what um, they need to do or how, you know, or trying to comprehend what they want. Where a father will lack that and just kind of say, say it, speak to the child like an adult. And will throw out words that may be beyond the child's vocabulary at that time. Now, the story I have is this. My in-laws live in West Virginia, and they live on the West Virginia-Maryland borders. So when we go there, we often will go, like, we have to go out to eat. We don't eat in West Virginia because Cumberland, the bigger city, is right across the Potomac. We're going to go to Cumberland or this town called LaVale. So that's where we're going to eat, Maryland. So we're constantly in Maryland, really not in West Virginia. So my younger daughter, and she must have been about four years old, said when she grew up, she wanted to move to Maryland. And we asked, or we're driving, and we asked why, and she goes, I want to be close to Grammy and Pappy. And I said, well, no, you don't want to live in Maryland. She goes, I want to live in Maryland. I go, no, you don't. I go, you want to live in West Virginia. I go, West Virginia has lower taxes than Maryland, and that's the state you're grandparents live in any house. So why would you want to live in Maryland and have a higher cost of living, higher taxes? And she's like crying, I want to live in Maryland. I want to live in Maryland. And my wife just finally goes, if you want to live in Maryland when you grow up, you can live in Maryland. And she looks at me and goes, see how easy that was? And of course, my daughter stopped crying. But it's that whole idea of here I am giving a four-year-old the actual reason why you wouldn't want to live in Maryland, you would want to live in West Virginia, it's a better cost of living. And my wife gives the answer that she needs at that moment to quiet her down. So I was teaching my daughter something about taxes and cost of living. And my wife was saying the words needed to soothe a young girl whose father had antagonized her. There are other studies as well that show Father involvement with their children can lead to more, more curiosity from the child, can also make them help develop their social skills better. So there are a lot of, there's a lot of research out there, that's the point, that shows that if you're a dad, be involved in your children's lives. And I, like as a father of two daughters, I know it's tough. And I don't mean that, like I don't enjoy, I love my daughters to death. But... Yeah, they're not going to be into the same things you're into. You know, my daughters hated baseball. 
But they would humor me by going to the Hall of Fame every summer when they were little girls. The point is, they need you just as much as if you had a little boy. So don't neglect your daughter's dads. Because as some of the research says, that your involvement is going to help them too. And, you know, and, and kind of, and, and there is a barrier. I'll admit it, that my daughters tend to like what my wife likes more. But it doesn't mean you don't introduce them to things that you like. They, they want to know what you like. That's what I've learned as a dad. So just, and what it comes down to, it's easy. What it comes down to is you got to get over the fear of rejection. Because I think that's what it is. That your daughters are going to reject you and what you like. And just do it. Have fun. And they'll either like it or not. You know, your sons might not like baseball. If I ever had a, you know, if I had a son, they might not have been a baseball fan. You just kind of have to suck it up. Let them be them, right? Now, the last thing I want to talk about in this episode is I'm going to talk a little personally. I'll talk about my dad and this idea that the most loving word a parent can sometimes say to their child is the word no. Some people may be listening to this and fear that I am stifling the curiosity and creativity of my children by believing that or telling my students that, no could be the most loving word. And again, I'm going to go to the worst possible scenario thing. Other people might say, hey, you have this great relationship with your dad. Not everybody does. I get that. Again, we understand, but it doesn't mean we don't uphold those fathers who are trying their best to go to the ideal. I, I really hate the argument from the worst case scenario. Like we should silence any dad who's doing it well, or any discussion of dads who are doing it well, to encourage young men who are going to be dads someday to be like these fathers. Yeah, some people, some of my friends had some pretty horrible dads. Some of my friends had, not horrible dads, but dads who made bad decisions. And it's always been the great thing about that, that some of those kids, some of those, my friends, I should say, when they were kids, knowing their fathers made bad decisions for them, is seeing them as dads. You know, I have friends whose fathers were alcoholics. And and not the abusive alcoholic, but an alcoholic where it did affect their family. And you see them today as dads saying, you know what, I I saw what that did to our family. I am not going to be like that. I'm going to raise my child. I'm going to take the best of what my father gave me and take away as much as the bad. It doesn't mean they're going to be perfect. They're going to make their mistakes and their child someday is going to think the same way. I'm going to t- but, but now their child has a better starting ground, right? That they now have, they chipped away at the alcoholism, let's say, and now get the dad with just typical dad mistakes and they're going to, and that's what we want to encourage. Other people would say, how dare I have this, like, authoritarian parental view. No is the most loving word. As if I'm trying to be a draconian dictator over my kids. No, what I'm trying to do is create boundaries and guidelines and limits from experience, from the wisdom of the ages. You know, there's always this push of allowing kids to be them, allowing them to develop, and... I see this on Twitter all the time, usually in the teacher-student relationship, but but some teachers and educators who have this view I'm about to say will transfer it over to parental in the family situation. 
that we have to allow children to express themselves. We need to allow them to be free. We're putting chains on them. I've often said, when you're talking to somebody with a different view than you, I can guarantee one question that will often come up as a difference, if you really break it down to it, it's the root of the disagreement, is how you see the place that evil comes from. Does bad or evil come from within us, from each individual person, or does it come from outside of us, from society? See, the person who says that by being authoritarian, draconian, wrong, would say the system has taught us to be overbearing on our children. And that is where the evil is coming from. We have to change the system. Where people who are like-minded to me would say, no, the child and myself are born with the evil inside of us. Or the, the, the propensity to choose wrong is within inside of us. We may be encouraged to do it by society, but it comes down to us. Kind of the idea I said earlier about my dad quotes from last year. If the ball hits your mitt, you got to catch it. You can't make excuses. You're responsible for catching the ball. You're responsible for the decision. You're the responsible for making a bad choice. And parents are to be there to explain that. And that's why they put guidelines up to help lessen the likelihood of those bad choices being made. When we talked earlier about the statistics of fathers being involved in daughters' lives, and they said that they make more responsible decisions as early as middle school. That's a good thing. And it's probably because a dad said no a lot. On events and activities the child wanted to do that the father knew would not be in their best interest, even though society around them, their peers, are telling them, you got to do it. Don't listen to your dad. Come on. What are you, a daddy's girl, etc., etc.? So, yes, a lot of my views on raising a child is going to come down to where I believe that evil or choice for evil comes from within each individual person. You know, it comes from my religious belief, right? My Christian belief that for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God is the famous verse in Romans, that each one of us are born sinners. We're born with that inclination to do bad. Not all the time. That's not what I'm saying. But it comes from within. Now, you may not be a Christian, you may not even be religious in any aspect. And I still believe that you can hold on to this belief that the choice of doing wrong comes from within. And I'm not going to cite the Bible here on this explanation, but here it is. We're all limited. Since we're limited, we don't know the ramification of every choice. We don't know everything. We're locked into time and space in the here and now. You think about it. What is a regret? A regret is your inability to go back to the past to change it, to what you did wrong. Because we are limited creatures, limited in resources, limited in ability, limited in knowledge, we don't know the future, we are going to tend to make bad choices. So what's going to help us make better choices? Well, what's going to help us make better choices is the wisdom of the ages. We can't say, hey, we have all this access to technology. We know better. No, we don't. That's why you read the old classics. Some of the 
ideas that we're struggling with right now in society have been discussed over and over again. The other day I was taking my daughter to a friend's house. She's in high school. And I said, now you're not going to do any alcohol, right? Drugs or anything like that, right? And she looked at rolled her eyes at me. She goes, no, dad. And I go, her parents going to be home? I should have asked that first, right? I go, her parents going to be home? Yes. Okay, that's fine. And she goes, why do you have to keep on saying that to me? About, you know, kind of alcohol and drugs. Because I, I said, because I love you. And that someday the situation is going to be, you're going to be in a place where the parents aren't home, where you're going to be exposed to alcohol and drugs. Hopefully, hopefully not, but that could be a situation. And I want to make sure that you know that that is not in your best interest. I want you to know that that can only cause problems for you. And that, and I'm doing it because I love you, not because I... You, know, you think about that. If we just allow kids, we have this view of kids, allow them to be curious, allow them to explore and be experiential. I, If I had never told my daughter to refrain from that stuff and then something tragic happened, I, I couldn't live with myself. I mean, I would have a tough time living with myself if something tragic happened, even if I did, when I, because I am saying those things, right? How much more so if I never said any of that? And science backs this up. And that's the thing that drives me crazy when you have teachers who say, when you have rules, it's all about compliance and that parents are too dictatorial. You need to allow the child to be free. But do you ever look at the research that says a child's mind is still developing until they're 25, especially the areas of judgment and making, you know, why they they make rash decisions. It's because their minds are still developing. I, I share that with my, you know, my students, the last day of school, going back to what I said in the very beginning, my confession that I talked to them about. Sometimes the most loving word a parent can say is the word no. And I share with them their brain development. Your parents are there to be that part of the brain until your brain develops that tells you that's too great of a risk. Don't do it. And if we are just saying that kids should be free and let them experience and let them find their own truth, that is still an adult telling a child what is best for them. Now, you can soothe your feelings on that by saying, but I'm allowing them to be them. I'm giving them freedom. Or you're putting them on a deserted island of their own creation where they're the only person there. And they have tremendous freedom on that island, but they realize there are still limitations. There are still things they cannot do. And I don't know about you, but if I was on a deserted island by myself, it would be great freedom, but quickly that freedom would turn to despair. I think parents who give their child the idea of, yeah, be curious, but remember, there are limits, there are risks. The idea of risk and reward, correct? We need to teach that to our children, not just give them no, giving them no barriers is not, I always say this, giving them no barriers is not loving. Giving a child no barriers is apathy because you really don't care what happens to them.
and that gets me back to talking about my dad. I said it'd get a little more personal. And I've shared this on past podcasts. My dad's a very smart guy, very well read for a guy who was a factory worker for his career. He hated high school. He'd rather be out hanging out with his friends, getting into trouble, and fixing cars. That, of course, changed when he got married to my mom. And although they can be at odds with each other, if you ever ask them why they love each other, it's really, it's really each have their own answer. It's, it's really sweet. My mom would say, mom's kind of reserved. She doesn't take strong stands for herself. And she would say, your father is my strength. He was the one who said for me the words that were difficult for me to say when I was being pushed around. And my dad would say, your mom saved my life. She almost like saying she gave me purpose. Like he, he honestly believes that he was making so many bad choices that he doesn't know if he would be alive today if it wasn't for my mom. He gave her, he, she gave him a reason to live. And of course his family, and he really focused on his family, my, my sister and I. He always said, I sweat through my clothes in the summer in 120 degrees temperatures on the factory floor so my kids don't have to. He made sacrifices. He wanted to make sure that my sister and I never made the bad decisions he made. And what that meant was a lot of tension in high school. Because like, like I tell my students, when you become a teenager, it's natural, right? You start to pull away from your parents because you're becoming independent. You're, you're becoming that adult. But you still need that guidance. And my dad and I would get into shouting matches because I would not want to hear the word no. Why can't I go out and do this? My friends are. I don't care. And, my, my, and at times, looking back, did my father go overboard at times restrict, making restrictions? Not like I was... Locked in my house. Don't get me wrong. I did things with my friends. We did some crazy stuff. Nothing like my dad, but we did some fun stuff, crazy stuff. Things I regret, things I don't. Did my dad at times restrict me too much? Yeah, I, I was tend to be a compliant kid. I wasn't going to do anything illegal or anything. My friends weren't either. Uh, I ran with a different crowd. He would admit that. that the crowd of kids I was running with were the more athletic, academic, goofy kids. Uh, we were not the most popular group, but we weren't the kids who were failing all our classes either, looking to get into tr trouble, to get arrested and things. You know, push really. We pushed boundaries, but not really as much as we always think we did. Okay. But my father did restrict some of the choices I made with them. And I think he did make some mistakes. But as an adult, when I look back, although it made me angry as a kid, I look back and I said, I understand why. He never did it because he didn't want me having fun. He did it because he, he didn't want me winding up on a factory floor like him. He wanted to make sure that I made right decisions in a time in my life that my brain was still developing. There's a picture of my college graduation. Of my, my brother-in-law took it. It's of my mom, my sister, and my dad. Now let me tell you my dad's typical garb. All right, what he usually wore. Black t-shirt blue jeans, usually, usually boots, not sneakers. My dad was pretty consistent on what he wore. Now, typically he was wearing it because that's what he would wear to work. But in this picture of my college graduation, after it was over, I'm in my you know graduation gown. My mom and my sister are in casual clothes. 
it, they could have been to a college graduation. They could have been walking through the park. They really didn't wear anything out of the ordinary. They were nice, looked nice, but not overdressy at all. My dad had a sports jacket on and slacks. And that's very telling. Because I think the statement he's, make, he's making was, this is what I worked for. This is why I took all the grief from you as a kid. This is what I was guiding you to. I don't have to worry about you being on a factory floor. Now, some of you may be listening to this podcast and say, but you're just a teacher. My father doesn't see it that way. I mean, that's somebody else imposing what success is. I, I love my job. I made choices. I decided I wanted to be a teacher. I weighed the risks and the benefits, the, you know. But I'm going to tell you what was the greatest gift my father ever received from all those teen angst years of having to deal with me and having to tell me no. It wasn't just that I graduated. Maybe about 10, 15 years ago, my dad, who would always try to find time to sneak out of work if I was playing a baseball game near where the factory was, and that continued into college. Even when I became a coach, my dad would try to get to a game or two every year. So I'm coaching middle school baseball, and my dad took my nephew up to watch a game. We went to the town's diner where I work to get some food. And as we were walking in, a former student and ball player and his girlfriend were walking out. And this exchange was the greatest, one of the greatest gifts my dad ever received because my dad was allowed to see, given a glimpse of what all his hard work meant. So my former student and player was cashing out. We were coming and waiting for a seat and I had, the kid was in college now. So I hadn't seen him in five or six years. So we started talking, asked him how college was going. He asked me how school was going and how the team was this year. It was a nice exchange going back and forth, you know, catching, catching up with each other very quickly. And it was really neat to see him as a young adult, you know, a guy in his 20s rather than a young teen. As the host came over to guide us to our seats, we said goodbye. And then the young man looked at my dad and said this. Sir, I just want you to know that your son was the best teacher I ever had. And the reason he was able to say that is because my dad taught me well. Thank you for joining me on the Parent Teacher Conference podcast. If you enjoyed what you heard, please share this podcast with friends. They can be teachers, they can be parents, they can be someone who's just interested in education and parenting. If you have a comment, a question, or an idea for a future topic, please feel free to reach out to me at ptcpodcast411 at gmail.com. ptcpodcast411 at gmail.com. Remember, a good teacher cares deeply for their students, but good parents love those students, their children, deeply. Thank you.